Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. I almost did it again. Damn it. Uh, oh, yeah. This isn't the Patreon. These this is not the Patreon. People, this is yeah. for the freeloaders. Um, <laughs> this is for everyone. It's for the exactly. people. It's for, yes, absolutely. That's very Marxist of you, David. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> exactly. the it's nice to play into our brand. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Uh, I mean, real answer. I am so stressed out. I had a guy, I was just telling you and our guest off mic that I was visiting my family uh, whom I haven't seen like my mom, my siblings, their spouses, all their many, many children haven't seen since before the pandemic. It was great for my wife and I to get back together with them. But, um, I means I came back late last night and spent the day at work, just, I mean, working from home, but still just like, it's been, a uh, crazy day uh so it's good to r- unwind at the end of the day uh and we'll and we'll uh we'll do that with this great podcast but first tyler i want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com what's up now tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors they they look great they sound great tyler and i use them each and every day of our lives tyler you know i i love to use this segment where i talk about what i've been listening to on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds i'm very aware of that yes but i love to use it to talk about like intentionally talk about things that you have no idea about so i I will say i uh i was listening today to the new nas album Nas the rapper Mm-hmm. Uh, his you. album's called King's Disease Two, a single, a sequel, I guess, to his album King's Disease from 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 last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, Eminem does a guest verse uh, oh. on the album. And I don't know if you know Tyler. About twenty years ago, there was a Nas Jay Z beef, oh. and Nas in one of his songs called Ether, where it was like a diss track about Jay Z. He says about Jay-Z, Eminem murdered you on your own shit, meaning he had Eminem, Jay-Z had Eminem on a song, and Eminem was a better rapper on that song than Jay-Z was on his own song. It's okay. like a famous bit of like rap beef. So when I saw, just before I even listened, when I saw that Eminem was on a Nas track, I was like, I gotta go to Twitter and see how many people on rap Twitter have tweeted that Eminem murdered Nas on his own shit. And uh, I was not disappointed. It was a, a, a huge uh, reaction. I don't know that I agree that Eminem murdered Nas on his own shit. I think Eminem's verse is very good on the album. I think the album as a whole is quite good, but uh, I just wanted to go on at length about a, a bit of rap history that Tyler does not know or care about. That you're definitely the latter. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> because that's will... fun for me. And I will say, though, that it's still it's kind of admirable slash pitiful that you're still in this phase of life where you hear something and think, I'd better go to Twitter and see what people are saying, because I feel like that's not a great instinct, David. I feel like it's a good way to get angry. That's what Twitter is for. If, as Roger Ebert said, movies are a machine that generate empathy. (laughs) Twitter is a machine that generates anger. Yeah, it just decimates. Yeah. Twitter is where you go to get angry about something you never would have known about if you didn't go to Twitter. That's what Twitter is for. Anyway, yeah, all of this sounded great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds that are available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So uh, please, I implore you, go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Tyler? Yes. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. We have a guest, a first-time guest that we're both very excited about because we are both very, very excited big comedy nerds. Yes, uh, joining us, and for, also, oh. but it's not just it's not okay. just comedy though, David. It's it's uh, this guy is a prolific actor who's shown up in in many of our favorite films and TV shows, and yeah. you know, I was I was re- refreshing, kind of reminding myself of like the stuff he'd been in, and I was like. That too. That's very. It's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, a lot of credits. Is he's a comedian. He's an actor. He's a writer. He's got a new uh, comedy special uh, that's called. Well, I guess I'm going to give away uh, the, the the guest's name. It's Rick Overton. Set list. Please welcome to Battleship Retention, Rick Overton. Hey, thanks much. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I had that same because, of course, I know like you're the Drake. Like that's a that's a big one. That's a big well, one. For, Love uh, the Drake, hate the Drake. Just keep saying the Drake. Yeah. <laughs> Network that goes, hey, Drake's coffee shop or donut place or food truck or. You know. Um, yeah, but I had the, the, the experience I had of like going through credits and remember the one that, that stuck out to me was like, oh, you were Anna Lucia's therapist on Lost. 
<laughs> when, when she was uh, heard that badge back too soon yeah i think yeah i think We're you did yeah with that yeah she i mean she 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 snowed you she had you fooled i guess that she was okay <laughs> to go back She's to the force cool in the session she was very chill during the session yeah, i sure. you know, that's all i had to go on is that they, they don't show me the flashbacks <laughs> right yeah <laughs> so how have you been rick uh, been uh, been uh, having fun, you know, in my own weird way. Uh, I've, uh, you know, I've done so many zooms. I've become a zombie. Yeah, nope. <laughs> form a union. I'm going to form a union for all. It's called uh, Zag. Uh, right. Zoom Endies Guild, and there are no benefits as of yet. But uh, as long as you keep sending the dues into me, and I'm covered, then I'll start thinking about swag and you know get a t-shirt or cup or something. And then but Rick, don't, that's don't why people join this. unions <laughs> for, the, for, for the swag. swag. <laughs> that's why people join unions is for the swag. Don't say union. Well, unless it's Zig. Zig is the one for when you're just Zoom interested guild. So there's you can go either Zig or Zag, you know. And one day they'll merge. They'll have to. Yeah, right. Sure. <laughs> just you know, just for, uh, for uh, what do you call that? Uh, synchronicity. Is that yeah. what it is? And all the synergy. Synergy. From. That's it. See, synergy. David, you're in the you're in the corporate environment. I am not. Yeah, that's true. Uh, now, Rick, I'm going to start by asking you the question that I always like to ask first-time guests, which is simply, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Originally Forest Hills, New York, and then moved out to Englewood, New Jersey in 1966. Oh, what was that like? It was a transition into the suburbs because yeah. parking was getting weird in Queens. So that's, <laughs> that's when it was like. There was parking in Queens before that, like 65, you know, <laughs> 64. <laughs> and so also my dad worked with uh, jazz musicians, Thelonious Monk mm -hmm. and Izzy Gillespie. They were friends and they lived in Englewood, New Jersey. And they said, hey, how about living near us in like the suburbs, which is considered like a suburb of Manhattan. Englewood mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. across the George Washington Bridge and a little bit north near uh, near the Sopranos. I don't know if it has any, <laughs> there's any X reference point for you there, but, uh, is that where, cause I think, uh, I'm a big Sopranos nerd. Uh, I think canonically within the show, Tony Soprano lives in West Caulfield. Is that, uh, is that a real town? Uh, that could be, I just know they shot a few scenes in Englewood cliffs and stuff like right. that. So, you know, I'm just talking about the area like where Eddie Murphy lived for a while. And, uh, there's like a lot of mob in Englewood Cliffs because uh, regular people can't afford all that. So jazz musicians, comedians, and the mob. Mob lived on the hill. We lived down on the flat part. Okay. Got it. Okay. Middle part. We didn't live up on the hill part. So there's Englewood Cliffs. You got to put the cliffs part in. You live sure. near cliffs. Oh. We live in just Englewood, just trees and streets, and it just keeps going. But it was Dwight Morrow High School. I went to school with John Travolta. Oh, how's how about he doing? That? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you still in touch? Lewis went to our school. So it did turn out, but they had a great arts department. They turned out mm. funny. They they encouraged funny and good, you know. Hmm. Uh, you, you see John Travolta at the, at the class reunions still? <laughs> no, I haven't seen him in a while. Uh, but we took flying lessons together with Ms. Patton. And she wow. was uh, Women's Air Corps during the war. And she was one of the first female flight instructors. And uh, so we studied with her. And he wow. kept them going and he could fly. And he's, that's why he's a pilot. And yeah. I did until the money ran out. And then I wasn't a pilot yet, but I could, sure. I know how to. Wow. Okay. So you, wait, you didn't, your high school didn't teach flying. This was outside of high school. Oh, it was the flying club. Oh, Dwight okay. The flying club at Dwight Morrow high school. Wow. You, had, you, when they don't pay for your going up and stuff, you had to kick in for fuel and, you know, but it, back then it wasn't as bad free aviation fuel and the, you know, students to split it up. Wow. That's cool. I don't know. My high school had a literary magazine with bad poetry, bad teenage poetry. That's about as cool as it got. We didn't have any oh, people cool. flying planes. <laughs> <laughs> and that, Hey, that shit was free. You didn't have to pay anything for that. Don't worry. <laughs> um, so what was, uh, uh, what was going to the movies, uh, like in Englewood, New Jersey in the, in the sixties? Uh, you know, the, the, we would, uh, try to get in to see 
adult type of movies when we were too young to do it. You know, that was a lot okay. of that backdoor chicanery, try to sneak in and see an adult movie when we were too young uh, yeah. to get in and, uh, you know, the, or just go to James Bond or whatever the hell was. Oh, actually. yeah. Violence was fine, by the way. That's yeah. Look, come on in, kids. Yeah, that's still the case. Sugar while you're watching death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's something that I, uh, so Rick, uh, r- recently I'm, I, I've uh, become a, a teacher specifically about film history and stuff. And in talking about the, the rating system, it's just so fascinating that like, I guess it's understandable that the PG 13 wouldn't come around for a while, but that does mean that uh, that PG covered a lot. So like when you're watching jaws and you see Robert Shaw getting just ripped apart and blood coming out of his mouth, you're like, yeah, that's fine. PG, no problem. Yeah, uh, right. What, you know, what, that's not going to bother any kids. It's a rubber shark. <laughs> that's true. Well, yes. There, people won't. That rubber shark is putting a lot of people into therapy instead of into water. They all got out of the water after the rubber shark. That's right. It's. I remember there's there's like a, there's been this debate amongst uh, certain people. Like, is Jaws a horror movie? And I had a lot of friends who said no. But I grew up in California. It's like go in the ocean. It's a horror movie. It will become a horror movie the moment you can't feel the you can't see the bottom of the water. Even if you're in a lake, uh, you'll you'll immediately start thinking of Jaws, and that's how you know it's a horror movie and not like a fun adventure. Right, right. It plays off your fears. Oh my, yes. Yeah. Hard supposed to do find that button because a lot of them they don't find it. I'll hmm. be honest with you, a rubber monster doesn't hit the button for me. Okay. How they're made. I've been behind the scenes too much. I've worn the rubber. I've been the big (laughs) bugaboo guy, you know, so I know there's like, I know the process. All I'm thinking is you poor sweating bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Four hours in the goddamn chair and you don't get a line in the whole film, do you? Every day you're just there. You're sewed in your straw, reading the script, you know, and you're, "Mm." um, well, what, well, okay. What are some of your favorite? What horror movies work? What are some of your favorite horror movies? Uh, don't look now. Okay, it's a good yeah, one. That's a Hard great movie. Beat. You know, uh, let's scare Jessica to death. Oh yeah. Um, the possession of Joel Delaney. Hmm. I don't know that one. I don't know that one either. Uh, let me get you. Let's look it up. Again, yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, got my phone here. <laughs> Look it up. Uh, yeah. Race. You probably got ahead of me. Uh, possession of Joel Delaney, 1972. Uh, Shirley Plain and and uh, and uh, who was her uh, brother? Warren Beatty. No, um, I know. Let's see who else is in it. Uh, Perry King. Perry David. King played her brother. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Oh, okay. That's Joel Delaney. Yeah, directed by Waris Hussein. Oh, wow. I don't know. I don't know him. I'm going to check this one out. Yeah, that sounds very exciting. It's um, cool. And it's, you know what scares me? Like, the body snatcher scares me. Uh, rubber dude doesn't scare me. <laughs> Giant gimbaled thing doesn't scare me <laughs> i'm a nerd i know how every bit of that works yeah character I, slowly shifting and changing is fucking scary because it's something we can relate to especially anyone's ever been in a relationship or just any relationship and then they change and that's weird and why did you change and you know uh these days in particular anyone can relate to just watching people uh, you know yeah yeah that's sometimes you, you wonder if the the zombie apocalypse isn't already upon us and it was just an analogy you know <laughs> yeah uh, i do think uh as far as like someone changing but also incorporating a lot of the rubber suits and stuff i think the fly the david cronenberg the fly is a is one that really works for me and that's because he was changing before the rubber yeah, oh, that's a good. He was point. turning yeah. into a sugar cokehead fly guy, but he was a dry. He was using cocaine behavior, you know. Yeah, well, that's for sure. 
that was the drug. And look, I can punch the wall and who else can do that? Look what I can do. Ego and yeah. uh, weird blow off mean confidence. He was totally using like the a, a cokehead for that. And then, uh, then the humble later, he sees what it turned him into and he's like apologizing, but it's too late. Uh, I thought uh, that was so that interesting. Was um, it's there, but his character led the way first. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, it's, it's a wonderful, it's the kind of thing that like from an Oscar standpoint, it feels like Jeff Goldblum should have been nominated for an Oscar for that movie, but it's not the type of movie. It's a yeah. horror movie. So they, the Oscars don't think like that. I think they do now. They I do now. Think. I think. I'm sorry. What was that? I think now they do. Mm-hmm. Certainly yeah. if they uh, love or fantasy element in it, uh, shape of water, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Were there, so the, na- were there acting nominations for Shape of Water? I don't remember. Tyler's a better uh, Oscar. Uh, yeah, than... everything except lead actor. Um, so it was Sally Hawkins and Richard Jenkins and um, Octavia Spencer. All three of them were nominated. Yeah, but I thought Doug should have gotten a little more of the notice. The... Himself. I thought what he did was also great. And it wasn't all just the added digital performance. There was something he gave to it. You know, he's very lyrical. He moves yeah musical way yeah the uh the the story goes that that sort of fantasy like dance sequence they had a a dancer ready to fill in for doug at that point and the dancer couldn't handle the the costume and the suit so doug ended up doing it himself because he was the only one who knew how to move in that suit he's the master of yeah conveying through you know five inches or something or other yeah (laughs) yeah that's You know, that's also a Lon Chaney level gift. Oh, yeah. Sell it through the goo, you know. And it is a we've had Doug on the show before. And uh, and yeah, just to hear like he's the sweetest man in the world. But all you really got to do is start to hint that that's not real acting. And you'll see the shift. You'll see you'll see the anger come through (laughs) Um, because, of course, it's it's tremendously difficult. And. You know, if it's then like, what was Karloff doing in, in Frankenstein if he wasn't acting? Come on. There's there are great examples of it all through through film history. And there's just stuff that looks like it's the rubber thing. And what are you going to do? Well, yeah, we've t- okay, so we touched on you and I uh, were texting yesterday. I was in the Denver airport on the layover. Uh, <laughs> we were texting yesterday and you met, I was asking you what you're into movie wise. And you said fx you're like an fx uh geek Hmm. so what uh what are some movies that do it right uh movies that do it right yeah going back yeah it'll go yeah go as far back we're uh, we're steeped in pretension here so Uh, uh forbidden planet does it right sure it uses Ellen Shaw glass paintings uh but it uses seamless pretty seamless wire work on the models no wobble you know very little the tiniest almost non-perceptible when the uh, little cylinder comes down for the c-57 landing it uh there's a model work of a big model wire work practical nerd you know yeah. and they got a they did a great job with it and the the tireless pew pew by the way you want to know where pew pew came from that's the movie it came from really every other movie that has little segmented bolts going at subsonic speed made of pure energy like a tracer round that's all coming from the guns and the blasters from forbidden planet also all spaceships that have a circular linear drive thing of some sort turning around to drive it forward c57d is the first ship to get that and all the other shows copied it afterwards whether it was star trek or lost in space and lots of things today oh that's very cool uh, I, I haven't seen that one in probably i haven't seen them in probably 20 years i should watch that yeah. again yeah, it was great. You know, a lot that set the model for so many things, military crews, how they would set up and, you know, what are their protocols, all that Star Trek stuff. A lot of it came from there. And uh, then we'll go on to 20,000 Leagues. Okay. Mm. Another, the giant squid. Yeah. That's, you know, for 1954 and the Nautilus blasting through those uh, ships. I became friends with the designer of the Nautilus. Hmm. I, uh, I got to befriend Harper Goff. Yeah, I just idolized 
his work. He also designed the Proteus for uh, an incredible, uh, fantastic voyage and uh, shrink it down and put it in the blood of the guy. I do love the I do love the design of the Nautilus. I think it just looks so because in the in the context of the film, it has to conceivably kind of look like a sea monster so that people could confuse it for that while still being undeniably mechanical. And it's and it has that kind of cool riveted like sort of steam what we would refer to now as like steampunk, that kind of retro thing. And I I uh I do love the look of the Nautilus. Like I I went to a I went to a Disneyland in uh, Japan and they have like an entire section of that is devoted to like Jules Verne. And yep. so they have oh. like the, the, the Nautilus just like sitting there docked and, uh, and it, it's the same design as in the movie. And uh, it's pretty amazing. And uh, it's uh, interesting. He had to change from the book because mm-hmm. the book was a, just basically a, a cigar with a metal spike at the end of it and a propeller on the other end with a rudder. And it was smooth and, and black and welded and no rivets. And the problem with that is the eye is familiar with that. By 1954, we have a nuclear one of those already. So yeah. that uh, in, in the 1870s, just anything coming out of the water made a metal. You're like, what's what's this? The harpoon <laughs> bounces off. You know, there's no reference in their brain for it. But now everyone knows since U-boats, that's. Yeah. You know, you better up the game. And so by upping the game, he went back in the other direction, just started using what would have been technological of availability at the time. Rivets yeah. and flat panels bent into into shapes that weren't completely compound at any point. The, like cool. seen in Civil War ships. Yeah. What was it? There was a, the Hunley. Was that the name of like the, the Civil War like submarine? Uh, yeah. I saw like a TV movie about it many years ago. Yeah, yeah. And I remember thinking it was interesting. <laughs> I'm doing this in the middle of there and you're going maybe a half a mile an hour. Yeah. And <laughs> it's it's hard when not to. Of course. Off you sink too. That's that's the thing. It's like it's hard to not. I mean, obviously, people lost their lives and and any new technology, especially war technology. The first ones out of the gate are probably not going to make it. But it's hard not to look at that as uh, like almost comedic, just like people like a, a rowing submarine. Like it just feels so wrong. Isn't this exciting being the first ones to test this technology, guys? <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, uh, before we get any further, I want to go back. Uh, go back to the, the the mention your new thing that you have out the the set list. Um, I know this is a we know from a uh, friend of the show, Will Anderson. Or he, uh, loves oh, to do set lists. Fantastic he loves, at set list. Yeah, it's like his his favorite. I know this is a Paul Provenza thing. Yeah. So. Uh, what, he's, uh, he's, just so, to, yeah, to, <laughs> it's called Rick Overton's first set list special. And it's based on a game called set list where they have put a projection screen behind you and you don't know what you're going to say. When you come up on stage, you go in cold. You don't have a set act. First suggestion projects behind you. You're talking, 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 turn. And just include it in what you're saying as right. though. And you either allude to it by title, but sometimes it's more fun just sort of just work around it. And everybody does the math to know that's what you're talking about. And they're all very proud of themselves. And they laugh harder at that. Well, the whole point is it's an improvised game of playing off these suggestions you've never seen. And they're not normal. Uh, they're not normal words or airline food or dating or things like that. There's no, no gimmies like that. It'll be... Um, clown car wash you know or something like that <laughs> who's coming up with these is that is paul provenza coming up with them sometimes paul does but troy conrad is the creator of the game oh, okay okay a lot of his suggestions like it always has been traditionally and uh you can't see what it is and they do five six of them in a row but i tried to see if i could get a whole special out of that's great now, where can people find it improvise special and where can people see it? Amazon Prime is one of the places. You can also rent it on YouTube. And uh, it's on ComedyDynamics.com. All right. I, I, I'm very much looking forward looking forward to that, to, to watching that. 
Uh, I started getting stressed out just by hearing you describe it. <laughs> oh, uh, see, like I that. I like that part. Yeah, and I get exactly. Yeah. The deep shit sometimes I because I really <laughs> set each bit up. I come into it going, you know, folks, I have a very firm belief about certain things in life. I mean, there's no it's cut and dry and there's no wiggle room, especially <laughs> When it comes to it, it something has nothing to do with what I'm talking about at all. I just <laughs> dug myself mud pit. I go, oh, God, I walked in and went right down the manhole cover. And so some of the comedy is me <laughs> going up over the mud, <laughs> because, uh, going back down again, you know, and. I think the thing uh, that fascinates uh, me. Oh, out sorry, of trouble, comedy improv trouble. One of the things that fascinates me about that is that a you have to make it coherent. So there's that. That's the first thing. But then along the way, you are expected to make people laugh with what you say. I feel like that's when I hear because because uh, David mentioned uh, well, Tyler, we're talking to a professional here. What's up? That's that, that might be a challenge for you, but this is a professional comedian. Well, I didn't say it'd be a challenge for me. I'm just saying it sounds stressful. I think I could do it. I think almost any any thinking person could probably do oh. it. Right. <laughs> You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised how many people are actually very good at it. And they're hmm. not always known to be stand ups. My buddy, Mike McShane, the brilliant improvisationalist hmm. from whose line is it anyway? Oh, right. Uh, <clears throat> I talked him into doing it. And he said, man, I don't know. I said, you don't need to know that stand up. You leave it at the door here because you, this is the part you do. And you'll just know how to put it into a, a frame of a monologue. And he did. And he crushed it. He's one of the crushed guys now. Hmm. And That's so great. it's not without any stand up really behind it. Performance. Yes. But stand up. Yeah. Uh, no, well, okay. Okay. I, I'm, I'm trying to make uh, segues happen here. Speaking of comedy and special effects, another movie you mentioned we were texting yesterday is Dr. Strange Love is one of your favorite yeah, movies yeah. of all time. I know yeah. it's one of Tyler's favorite movies of all time, uh, as well. Um, but I've never really thought about it that much from an effects, uh, uh, standpoint. So uh, maybe that's a testament to how well they're done that I'm not really thinking about it while I'm watching it. Not that many effects. It's mostly mm -hmm. projection screen on the B-52 set of Russian low-level terrain going by mm -hmm. or whatever it is out the window, right? That's pretty much it. And then the large-scale model with wires roaring over the, uh, the, the snow-capped mountains and stuff like that. And it's the same team uh, in England that did uh, out of Pine Tree that did um, the MIGs <clears throat> in Ice Station Zebra. Remember mm. that scene where there's this? I've never actually seen Ice Station Zebra. I know it. What's that? I said I've never actually seen Ice Station <laughs> Zebra. I know I know the movie, but I've never seen it. It's a great. It's a cool suspense thriller from the '60s. Hmm. A killer Cold War thriller, and uh, so. There's there's these scenes where you can see it flying along, but you look on the ground and it's a B-17 shadow. That was the camera plane. Oh, wow. Same, Same manufacturer. It's just a uh, different plane. B-52 in the air, B-17 shadow. That's something only an aviation nerd would notice. But uh, And then you'll notice that there's a great scene with the MiGs flying over the ice in mm -hmm. Ice Station Zebra. And it's the same team. And they made it. They were the only ones doing seamless wire work at the time like that. A lot of other things you could see. Ah, there's the wire like right in front of you. What are you doing? That is something that as you know, I mean, in the early day, I remember the early days of Blu-ray. There was this, oh. this this feeling of like, well, let's have something be as clear as it can be. No. Well, that's every that's not always scene, great. Yeah. Every lace, every seam of makeup. Oh, it's yeah. merciless. And and then I think finally they like the the companies sort of got enough complaints that they realized like, yeah, make it look as good as it did when it was released. Don't make it look conceivably like better. Yeah, quote unquote better. You know, like, because there's uh, even 
a movie that I happen to really love and I'm, I might be alone in it is the shadow. I'm a big fan of the shadow with uh, Alec Baldwin. And I love, I love the look of it and all that. And I saw it in the theater and I remember really loving it. And there is a certain artificiality to it, but uh, I got the, the Blu-ray and it looks really good, but there's a moment where you can very clearly see where the set stops and the backdrop starts. Like you can literally see it shift. It goes back and into s- green. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, and it's just like, oh man, it didn't oh, look like that. Uh, when you get so the yeah. drinking bird <laughs> in the shot, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, or the seeing on like a, a high K screen, uh, an old version of Star Wars with the square, 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 square. Oh, yeah. High fighters fly by where they're matted in. And it was all lost on uh, 70 mil or 35. And it all, they had to redo it. They had to ma- they had to airbrush all that out just to make it jump to digital. There's a lot of things you have to repair from old films. Yeah for them to be forgivable in the new format. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I do think that it's kind of a, there are times when it's a bit of a bummer that I think uh, again, in, in teaching the classes that I teach and, and dealing with the, with younger movie watchers, there is this attitude of sort of superiority. like as far as newer movies being superior to older ones, simply because technology is better. And it's like, well, it's not about that doesn't automatically make a movie better more watchable it just makes certain aspects of it more seamless like for my money yes the shark in jaws looks fake but robert shaw is actually in that thing's mouth he's actually screaming and there's actually blood as opposed to like a shark that's completely digital and the actors who probably do a fine job but they have to actually they have to like fake it completely as opposed to it's like hey yeah that might be a big rubber robotic shark in jaws but the actor's still inside it samuel and, uh, jackson deep blue sea <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> yeah. and I, that is where my mind went yeah <laughs> he, he crawls out just half of them <laughs> but what i'm trying to come back at <laughs> I, I recently uh, discovered by way of a Jaws Facebook group I'm a part of that there was a, uh, a, a graphic novel called Hendrix. And it was all about the deputy who dis- who uh, goes on his own adventures and decides he wants to stay. He wants to stay away from like the shark infested waters. So he moves into the middle of the desert and, and uh, encounters the, uh, the graboids from Tremors. And uh, that sounds so wonderful to me. And he runs into Kevin Bacon and everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, those are pretty cool uh, monsters, the 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 graboids. They oh, those the are pretty seamless. Yeah, I think uh, some of the later ones got a little. I don't want to see them that much. The whole yeah. point is not supposed to see them. And and look, my film five, you got to see them. That's one of the yeah. big problems. That's why Blair Witch one is scary. Blair Witch two isn't. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We have yeah. To know everybody. Yeah, I love how uh, Tremors does so many cool things without showing, like you're saying, like they've got like the wooden planks of the porch outside the general store, just like accordioning, accordioning, yeah. accordioning, like yeah. uh, like in an old like cartoon as the things going under. Or I love the uh, the jackhammer that gets stuck in, the, in yeah. the graboid and just goes along the ground. There's so many cool ideas in, in that movie without actually uh, before you ever actually see one. It kind of uses the Warner Brothers cartoon method. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, Yosemite loads himself in the cannon in one castle and he's got it lined up. So he's going to go right through the opening window in the minaret on the other castle that Bugs is in. And boom. And then from inside Bugs's minaret, you see the brick right below the window go and push in. <laughs> and you go, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we love doing the math up to a certain point. We're very proud of ourselves when we do some of the. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, Rick, here's the thing: we're talking about visual effects. We're talking about your career. I'm so sorry. It's only a matter of time before we arrive at Willow. Oh yeah. Um, and we have arrived there. I'm so sorry. We're of a, <laughs> David and I are of a certain age, and yeah. Willow was a big movie for me as a kid. Yeah. B- before I realized just how structurally similar it is to star wars <laughs> it's very similar um Don't you know who kevin and i are yeah uh, uh the uh, r2d2 yeah yeah 
And we're with the bickering dudes in uh, in uh, the Seven Samurai. Um, yeah, yeah. No, uh, the um, wait, uh, it's the other one that the bickering well, dudes are in, right? Um, yeah. Well, it's a it's kind of a tradition. hidden fortress. Lots hidden fortress. Hidden use. fortress. Yeah, is the one hidden I was. Fortress, thinking. Hidden fortress. Thank you. Hidden fortress. We were supposed to be, uh, you know, annoying comedy relief. I guess. <laughs> I think we nailed it. But um, well, so, I mean, I certainly, you're... like you know, nine-year-old me thought it was hilarious. Sure, they did the job when oh, I was nine. Oh, yeah. yeah, and you know, we we uh, we held the record for the most amount of superimposed people that broke the record of Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Sure, wow. So what was the way? Hey, did you still hold that record? No, I haven't seen a lot of little people running around films. Uh, maybe uh, small soldiers since then. Oh, like yeah. the Joe borrowers, Dante. maybe the borrowers or something like that, which came maybe out the same the year. Bar- yeah, either small soldiers or the borrowers might be the two. My buddy yeah. Gavin Scott, who I got to work with, uh, and I was the creative consultant on the Secret Adventures of Jules Verne. I designed a lot of the machinery and the technology. Wow. So that was a short-lived sci-fi series that shot in Canada, hmm. and. We, we were very proud of the steampunk kind of things we made. Um, uh, speaking of special or, or effects related, I guess this is more stunt related uh, records. I, I didn't watch the last couple of seasons of Game of Thrones, but I do like that during one of the dragon attacks, they apparently set and hold the record for most number of stuntmen on fire in a single shot at one time. <laughs> Game of Thrones set that record. That's, that's uh, that, uh, impressive. That, I am... Uh, in in love with stunt people i love stunt people i would hang out with them on a set i watch them and talk and we gotta be cool and they'd let me do stunts sometimes so you just love them all the more once you've done a few stunts you know yeah yeah i and i love like there's uh, i like the um the stuntman who occasionally like it's a graduate to just actor like uh uh uh-huh. In the first, in the first John Wick, there's like the main heavy that he keeps encountering throughout the movie, and mm-hmm. he's like, he's just like a professional stunt guy. Um, I'm trying to think. One of Christopher Walken's henchmen in um, the Rundown, which is a movie that I love, and has a bunch of great stunts in it. Wow! Um, wow! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but one of his henchmen was a stunt was a stuntman on a movie that I was a PA on when I first moved out here. Um, so yeah, I like I like recognizing stuntmen in. In, in movies i got to meet uh uh peter sellers a stuntman ages ago and we were wow. on the uh on set and i talked with him for a short while and he was telling me that peter liked doing some of the stuff up to a point and then would hand it over like you know when he's on the parallel bars i remember when i was a young man at <laughs> the stairs and stuntman comes down the stairs and go and he come comes up right away and they, they have a whole routine as I just thought it was like a stagecraft. It was a camera running during stagecraft. Yeah. Yeah. But none like that for a sketch. And I love that because I think, and I, I may be guilty of this too. When we talk about stuntmen, we tend to think of action movies first, but like a lot of comedy has, has, has stunts, uh, has stunts in it. I was actually just watching. I don't know if you watched the Netflix uh, sketch show. I think you should leave. I'm so obsessed. I've watched it multiple times. But oh, there's just seen it yet. I'll check it out. Yeah, there's a the, in in the first season. There's a, a bit where a guy, a presenter at award show, like falls going up the stairs. Like he trips, falls onto the stage, and then rolls off the stage on onto the floor. And it's like funny, and it's and it's only a part of the sketch because the real sketch is about that after he's on the floor a dog comes up and starts humming his head um, but i've watched it multiple times i watched the sketch multiple times and it's such a great stunt like it's it's so funny and it's not what people think people think of stunts as like you know uh the triple x movie like a vin diesel movie or something like that and those are stunts too obviously but um uh comedy is uh, often very physical oh yeah yeah I've gotten I've gotten to do some pretty wacky stuff. Yeah. I wanted to have my timing during the gag. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. To the standard cartwheel and tuck and roll and land, you know. <laughs> I, I I want the, the clumsy grabbing at things and you know the imperfection of it. 
Yeah. That's it's your territory is the imperfections. That's all yours. If you learn to market, you know, it's that's where it'll all be. <laughs> Own your imperfections, catalog them, reuse them. Huh? Everything that you hated about yourself at another time, the clumsiness, the awkward thing you said. Just turn it around, give it to a character to do. And it releases that same awkwardness for everyone else who's ever experienced it. And it becomes your best friend and it pays all the bills. And it's also, it's, I mean, it's probably, yeah, very therapeutic as well. I thought we were getting kind of Zen here with, with that. Yeah. 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 Make it your friend, put it to work. It's cost you enough. Yeah, I, I really like that. I feel like, yeah. I mean, you're talking about comedy, but I feel like that's something we could like, you could apply to your life. Anyone could apply to their, 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 their lives. Like, uh, Embrace the things that you uh, maybe, you know, I have a tendency to think about something embarrassing I said years ago and like wince and like, you know, maybe I should embrace that. I'd be a better person if I could like come to terms with things that I uh, screwed up in the past or times that I made a fool of myself. There's different like ways, but I say as a performer, you're the way you're doing it is you're giving it to a character that will get a laugh for having done it. So part of your ego could go, Ooh, they're laughing at me. But the other part goes, shut the fuck up. They're loving this. Fuck this up. They're bringing us back in. Shut up. Just roll with it. And then until it learns to love itself. Mm. And that thing. So all those traits you used to, Oh, why did I say that in front of her? And Whoa, that was so embarrassing. And all that go, Whoa, give it to a guy to do his in a sketch or something like that. And suddenly it's like, oh, God, all those mistakes. I'm sitting on an Alexandrian library of this, of fuck ups. <laughs> yeah. I'm an imperfectionist. You know, it's the goal I can reach every day. <laughs> what you're saying is, is I, like David, what you're saying is resonating with me in a way that I'm frankly not that comfortable with. But that's uh, the point. Because that's the idea. Yes. Because. Uh, He's like, well, I'm not an actor, so how can I take my own mistakes that I've made in life and make them work for me, as opposed to just trying to repress them and they show up anyway? But, uh, but yeah. So I'm just you're, saying, like, on top of everything else, you're a guru, Rick. Is what is what I'm saying. You should set something up, you know, a <laughs> church or something. You know, that's it. As if I could just get you with a card table out at the airport for me, that would be. <laughs> money for uh, money for rick i'm sorry who rick rick who oh just money for rick <laughs> so so far you're setting up a fraudulent union yes. two of them all, and the rick, fraudulent. all the ricks it's we'll call it an embarrassment of riches oh <laughs> that's the kind of stuff we can expect from your special i'm sure those kind of quick uh, uh, well now uh, we have to cut it out i just burned it so now we have to cut it off oh yeah sorry yeah. about that <laughs> I don't think you need to worry. I don't think you need to worry about cutting anything else, uh, anything out because you said it on this show. I think you're going to be fine. We got listeners. We We have listeners. listeners. Yes. I'm watching. I'm uh, subscribed. Oh, Oh, all right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Well, now I feel like I got to step it up. Um, We got to delete like half of our episodes. What are some of your other... uh, Favorite movies. That's that's what we always talk to first time guests about. Just favorite favorite movies. Uh, so I guess all of we, we kind of chewed up a little bit of Strange Love there. Yeah, yeah. Sure. One of my favorite films, you know, where Peter Sellers gets to play different people, and you can see what a dream thing that is for performers. Lots of other performers have tried to do multi roles. Yeah, in films, you know. Oh, oh by the yeah. way, detail about. Uh, Peter Sellers, uh, you know, every hero has a hero. You know, his hero, Sellers' is hero. Who? You, you know, and comedy hero, certainly. And then the one who inspired him to play multiple roles in films. But it's also, you you know, when he is using this tone, this nasal tone in his voice. Yes. Kato, you fool. I think groceries, didn't you know? Do you know why he has this tone? Because... Why? Hero in other films earlier, and one in which they'd worked together, also had a very nasal sound. Is it Alec uh, Guinness? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, kind Hearts and Coronets is uh, 
the multiple that's the multiple character uh when yes. you're you're talking yeah. about especially yeah and you know peter's like all right okay it is a it is a shame when someone i feel like i'm just complaining this whole time i'm sorry i guess i'm just in the mood but um the uh it is a shame that like for so many people, Alec Guinness is, is just Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's great in it. Don't get me wrong. And of course, his work with David Lean was also mm-hmm. great. But like, well, he was an actor and a very versatile one. So he could do comedy as well. And the stuff that he did like with Ealing was often delightful. Uh, like Lavender Hill Mob is wonderful. Uh, Lady Killers, which he was in with Peter Sellers. He's, yeah. he's delightful and totally over the top. And it's the kind of thing that you wouldn't when you see it, you're like, Oh, I didn't know there was this side to him. And meanwhile, it was a pretty big side until everyone just kind of decided he's respectable and that's all he is. It's that one part that they say you just have to wait for that'll launch you. Mm -hmm. That also might sideline everything else you did. So you have to be ready for that trade. Yeah, I left. Eric Bana was a comedian in Australia and then like came to America and started being like, cause he's good looking or whatever. He was a leading man. Uh, yeah. uh, and now I feel like he's become more of a character actor uh, type and, and he's very good, but I, uh, uh, I, I want to see, uh, I want to see him cut loose and just be purely funny again. Well, you know, it's time to be a little, little more of the bad guy. A lot of comics wind up being uh, very, uh, very fine bad guys. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I think for modern standards, a bad guy has to have a funny wit about him just to get through the damn film. There has to be a funny quirk about the bad guy and comics can get it. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, it doesn't always work. Sometimes it's all oh, the comics just, Oh, he's putting too much of a shtick in there. Cause that's his thing. And Oh, I know they had to do it, but it kind of broke the mask a little bit. So, but there's a lot of people who did it just fine. They committed to it and they're just really good actors. If you see the, the series uh, I'm dying up here on Showtime, there's a lot of comedians giving just splendid, splendid performances as actors, knocking it out of the park, crushing it and not going for their shtick on any level. Hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I, I feel like there's a lot of, a lot of comedians who comic actors who could do drama, more so than there are dramatic actors that can suddenly do comedy. Like so, sometimes there are dramatic actors who turn around and you're like, Oh wow, John Hamm's really funny or whatever, you know, but, um, Man. but that doesn't yeah. mean, Oh, really funny. Doesn't mean stand up funny. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, That's true. there, but, there uh, have been I've, so uh, many movies about stand up comedians, which star non stand up comedians playing stand up comedians. And it is painful to watch. Painful well, to watch. I know when I've watched comedians that they say things like this. <laughs> yeah, that's Am the- I right? <laughs> fourth wall. <laughs> Broke my nose on the fourth wall. <laughs> no real contact with the audience. Well, I think we, uh, we talked about this. Uh, I can't remember because the, the last year and a half, all the year, all the time is just jumbled in my brain, but I can't, I can't remember how long we had Wayne Fetterman on to talk about stand up. And mm-hmm. I feel like even people who are stand ups in real life often are unconvincing in movies because movies aren't the same as being in the room and seeing a stand up. It, it, yeah. And lots of movies play off the, you suck and it's tragic. Right. Sure. And it's tough for you when you get yeah. off and they don't write scenes where you destroy. They write scenes where the sad, muted trumpet plays as you exit the club in the rain-soaked street, crane up as you walk towards the the busy, uncaring Hong Kong Boulevard. (laughs) I thought you said, for a second, I thought you said the Hong Kong Boulevard, and I was like, this must be a specific movie. That's where all the comedy is right now. (laughs) That's that's where the scene is? Oh, really? Mainland China. That's where it's really happening. I was watching the news the other day. They couldn't stop laughing. It was, uh, oh, it's hilarious. What have you been watching uh, during, I mean, I get, you know, where we had this, uh, it seemed like the pandemic was coming to uh, uh, an end of sorts and then the cases spiked again. But during this like sort of endless, like 
staying at home and social distancing. What have you been, what what movies have you been watching to keep yourself sane? Well, I've been watching Handmaid's Tale, you know, all the light fair. Turn through those real quick. (laughs) What's that? Speaking of masks over your face, you know, I'm going to burn through the seasons pretty quickly. And uh, here's my impression of every end of every uh, episode of Handmaid's Tale. Eyebrows raised, staring yeah. at the camera for the listen for the non non video the, the listeners the podcast. Oh, listeners. oh, next season I'm really gonna do something about this. <laughs> just wait, just be subscribing, chicken. <laughs> now it oh. sounds. Now I've not watched the show because it sounds a little intense for me, uh, oh. but my wife uh, loves it. She's been watching it. And uh, so you've been, uh, I can't tell if you like the show or not <laughs> based I on that. Well, you do. Okay. You know, I, I believe in political consciousness and all that stuff. And sure. I think that uh, that is sort of an interesting parable for lots of things going on. Yeah. We are not living in Gilead right now, but man, this ain't America either. Mm. You know, it ain't what I, not what a lot of us remember. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're bringing me down. I was going to say that I've been trying to like <laughs> keep it light with the pandemic viewing. Uh, you know, my my wife and I have mostly been watching comedies. Although, if you remember, right at the beginning of the lockdown was when HBO aired The Plot Against America. That was like almost uncomfortably close to uh, uh, to, to Donald Trump's America. Unfortunately, uh, I watched uh, Hunters. Oh, with Al Pacino. Oh, how was that? <laughs> Hey, hey, it's like this this time. <laughs> it was good. It was fun. It's supposed to be over the top. It's supposed to be Tarantino. Okay. Okay. Um, so, so uh, fact, satisfying wrong history. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. So is his care? I haven't watched it. Is his character supposed to be Jewish? Yes. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Like the is a, uh, uh, a Nazi hunter, right? Yeah, uh, probably less. Uh, he played the Merchant of Venice in a movie. He did two thousand three, maybe two thousand three or four. I think. Yeah, yeah. With Jeremy Irons. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I always uh, uh, there's the, there was a movie a few years ago with um, Richard Gere called I think it was called Norman or whatever. Oh yeah. And, and it was full of like non-Jewish actors playing Jewish people. Um, and I feel like I always, I, whenever that happens, I ask my, my wife's Jewish and I ask my wife, like, does that bother you? And she's like, no, nah, like, I'm doing all right. <laughs> so I guess I'm like, okay, I guess I'm not going to get <laughs> bothered by that. Yeah. But it's, yeah, Norman is like, it's like Richard Gere and Steve Buscemi and like Dan Stevens uh yeah not yeah uh, all playing uh new york jews remember when sean connery played an italian gangster <laughs> right well he also played a um a spaniard a spaniard in, in highlander <laughs> yeah. uh, and you frenchman you're a you're a highlander yeah. <laughs> i'm a spaniard <laughs> <laughs> and he was agamemnon in uh time bandits right uh, yeah <laughs> Yeah, he's uh, he's he's like I guess he's got that Schwarzenegger thing. He's just like Zarko. this is how I talk. I'll never lose the image of him in Zardos. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't he's think you're supposed wardrobe. to. Are he's in wardrobe? Like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> what is this? That's your Zardos outfit. <laughs> One more trick. <laughs> yeah, that's John, no, uh, that's uh, John Borman. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I like him. Early as a director, John Borman. Yeah, before he went on to do the Sword and the Stone film, uh, Excalibur, one of my favorite films of all time. Yes, Nicole Williamson. That's uh, weirdly. So Tyler wasn't on the podcast last week because uh, he uh, he was out of town with a fill in. But this is uh, so Tyler doesn't know. This is the second week in a row that Excalibur has come up on the podcast. We talked about Excalibur last week uh, yep. as well. One of my favorite movies of all time. On horseback, younger Patrick Stewart on horseback, right yeah. to the sword. 
Yeah, there's so many people in that movie who were like yeah. at the beginning of of great careers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and so we all, last week we also talked about uh, the sort of um, uh, everyone. You know, people like to play that what if with movies. We talked about the John Borman Lord of the Rings that never got made. That kind of like. <laughs> became Excalibur, but he was going to make like a sexy R-rated Lord of the Rings in the early 70s live action that would have been cool. But like I said last week, we got Excalibur out of it. So I'll take I'll take this reality. (laughs) Ah, It was a great telling, I thought. Yeah. And it used some people that weren't names and it really helped. I thought it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, uh, I'm trying to think what else we, 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 we have to get to, Tyler. What else is on your uh, agenda to add? We have, we have Rick Overton here. It's, <laughs> that's true. Uh, and obviously... Oh, I was, was going to bring up, the reason okay. I was bringing up the Jewish thing is because I was bringing up, I was looking again at your IMDb credits and looking at one of my favorite character names on Kirby Enthusiasm, you played Angry Gentile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Remember the episode where Mitch is going to get married to a shiksa, and so he's going to have to convert to okay. Christianity for the wedding to go through, and so they're going to baptize him. So we go up to Lake Castaic, but we don't say it's Lake Castaic. It's supposed to be a river, mm. and a rushing river, and they couldn't make it rush because it's Lake Castaic, so they got motorboats to boom, blow while they're sitting like it's the moving river, and Mitch gets lost in the river, and 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 Larry pulls up, and they don't—he doesn't understand what's going on, and they think they're just drowning a Jewish guy. <laughs> and he stops the wedding, and stops the the, the baptism, and just ruins the wedding. So, the whole family has to dive in. We, Paul, uh, Dooley, and I, and and the whole family—we uh, all dive in to get everybody out, and then we're back at the house, and we're soaking wet, and we're furious with each other. And uh, I made sure. And then there's supposed to be the wall of people, uh, the, 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 the wasps and the Jewish people. <laughs> and then they're supposed to uh, come together to argue to destroy every last vestige and hope for the wedding. And I was just leaning. Uh, I was lining myself up so I'd be there with buddies like uh, David Feldman. So when we go together, it's me and him doing a shtick together. You know, and that's that's it. That's how it went out. Just furious at Larry and then bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I'm so glad I asked about angry Gentile. Do you, when you, when you play a character called angry Gentile and maybe he wasn't called that in the initial, the, whole, uh, the family and they ruined the wedding. That was right. my motive. You ruined this wedding. It's selfish. Okay. So did you, do you ever feel like in a situation like that, like, okay, well, I'm playing a guy who's identified as a Gentile. What does it, what's a Gentile sound like stereotypically? And it's just like, this is unbelievable. I'm not in favor of this like that. Like if I were to ask to play a Gentile, I feel like I'd probably be really, really articulate and probably uh, perpetually outraged. Uh, right. Uh, well, I just, you know, I'm just, well, I hope you're proud of yourself, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> patrician yeah all right i think uh that's a that, that's a that's a good uh, uh way to start wrapping this up unless uh ricky had something oh, else he wanted to oh i was enjoying this very much oh so oh. i but you know we've been we should we tend to try and try and keep it uh, not too much longer than an hour with uh with guests unless we're doing one of our uh countdown episodes well yeah. uh, this is loads of fun yeah. Yeah. We should, we, you know, this isn't going to, you know, this doesn't have to be a one-time thing. We will definitely exactly. uh, be willing to have you back. Um, the deal. So, yeah. So you can find, uh, you, you can find uh, Rick Overton set list. Uh, like you said, Amazon prime YouTube, uh, all sorts of other places. Uh, your own podcast is called uh, overview. Overview. I've got 50 different ones from a few years ago and we just did our 50 and that's it. But there's some interesting guests on, I got Jonathan Winters's last interview. Oh, wow. I didn't know it would be at the time. Well, I would hope not. Turned out yeah. to be. Yeah. Maybe really he goes on. It's a long one. And he is so clear and of so course. concise and on top of it. It's mm-hmm. great. Really listen to the man. You'll hear struggle with the voice. The body is the part that's failing, but the man, the mind is there. Mm. 
that sounds great. That's uh, that's overview. You can find us at battleshipretention.com. You know, you can email us at david at battleshipretention.com. Tyler at battleshipretention.com. I'm on Twitter at Davey Pretension. Tyler's on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. Uh, Rick, Twitter, anywhere else uh, on the social media? Rick Overton on Twitter. And that's me. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, thank you, guys. Yeah, and thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.